The Everything Apartments podcast is provided with support from the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, better known as AGLA, serving residential landlords throughout Southern California through education and advocacy. Visit aagla.org. Welcome to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher. And on this podcast, we cover all topics of multifamily investments from buying, financing properties, day-to-day operations and management, and also reinvestment strategies. Apartment complexes with exterior areas that basically are most of them in Southern California that are accessible to foot traffic. I mean, pretty much if you have a building that's anything over one story, uh, you're going to be affected by some new government regulation that's kind of moving its way into the spotlight. And, you know, anybody who knows me knows how I feel about government regulation or mandates, as the you know phrase has been for a couple of years, uh, that affect rental housing business. It's, it's usually misdirected, short-sighted, and a general overreach. But the way this will affect thousands of L.A. apartment owners is Senate Bill 721, Now, there may be an aspect of overreach at work here, but there may also be some good that comes from it. We have a great guest with us today, and we'll share how it will affect you and what you can do to kind of prepare for that. But first, I'll tell you about our firm, WSC Realty Advisors and WSC Property Management. WSC has been helping buyers and sellers and managing properties in Long Beach for over 16 years now. If you're tired of managing your own units or just not getting the results you want, we can definitely help. WSC never wants to be the biggest firm in Long Beach. Instead, we stay smaller and a little more agile to bring you the quality you want. We can also help you if you're looking to acquire more units or maybe move out of state into a different uh, investment direction, uh, out-of-state apartments or single-tenant net lease investment. Visit WSC dash pm.com call text or email us all of that is in the information's in the show notes mention the everything apartments podcast and you'll get your first two months of management absolutely free whatever your challenge with your property wsc has the solution today we have with us david tashrudian david's an attorney licensed general and also plumbing contractor i think it's a great combination Dave is the owner of One Structural Incorporated here in the LA area. And One Structural has a few different divisions, Retrofit One, ADU One, and Balcony One. You can kind of see a similarity with all this stuff. And I think all three of those things would be very interesting to apartment owners. Uh, and, and David you know, has shown that it is because he's worked on literally thousands of apartment complexes in his career doing different aspects of this kind of stuff. Just a few episodes back, we had uh, number 21, just a few back, we had the pleasure to interview his colleague, Helen Fowler, from the ADU1 division to help you all with that process. It was a very good episode. I'd suggest anybody thinking about ADUs, and you should be, uh, to go back and listen to that. They also do tuck under parking retrofits, which is a hot topic these days. But today we're going to focus on the division balcony one and the ability to help apartment owners comply with SB 721. And we'll get to exactly what that is uh, now. David, it's great to have you with us today. Hey, thank you, Eric, for having me on. Uh, I don't know if I'll live up to uh, to the hype that um, that you explained about Helen because she's just so good at all this. Yeah, no, it really was. you know, I talked to a lot of different guests on on this podcast, and and I could tell she was very fluent in that in delivering the information. It, it flowed really well, and and I I can see it from the ratings that it was 
very popular. And that's that's obviously a topic we were kind of joking around about how so much of what we talk about is reacting to governments and what they're doing to us. But that was kind of a fun one because it was the rare occurrence of the government doing something that could actually help owners, you know, create value in their buildings, more income. It was a breath of fresh air to have that kind of a topic. Yeah, that's that's sort of what we notice in our business itself. We kind of follow the government governmental mandates because it's good business to do that. You've got a captive audience uh, in, in your clients. But with the ADUs particularly, we noticed that it was something that the owners really wanted to do. They wanted to add income to their property. They wanted to maximize the use. So that was great. And that sort of transitioned us into doing balcony uh, inspection and repair because we realized that when we're doing ADUs and soft story retrofits, that a lot of these balconies that we're opening up in order to do that kind of work are deteriorated and decayed. Uh, you wouldn't believe what you see out there. And, and this is you know, pretty common, uh, I think, in, in buildings where you see a lot of deferred maintenance, even though there is, there is like you were saying, a little bit of governmental overreach on like the retrofit mandate and even the balcony mandate. I think this one in particular is um, is going to save lives. I agree with you because as we were kind of in the intro just talking, we we both walk around in a lot of buildings with exterior elevated elements. And that's a fancy way for saying decks, roof decks, balconies, exterior stairs, walkways. If you have a building that's more than a single story on grade, you've got at least one of these. And my observation is it's all about waterproofing. And, and when we as owners, you know, I've been in the waterproofing business in a past life. So that's all I see when I go to these places. But for, for normal owners, it, it, it's no surprise that when they think of waterproofing, they think of the roof. And if the roof is sound and it's not leaking, that's kind of the end of the thought for them. But there's so many of these elements that are, are exposed to the weather. Many times the surface has been worn away and, and just really nobody's thinking about that. Now, Let's take a step back and talk about SB721 came about. It was kind of a little bit of a tragic scenario. Yes. So I think everyone remembers back in 2015 when there was that tragic collapse in Berkeley. I think there were, uh, you know, a couple dozen kids on a balcony on on the fifth floor of a building that was not too old. Uh, I'd have to take a look to see when the building was was built, but I, I don't think it was built more than 10 or 12 years prior to the collapse. So they were out on this balcony. Obviously, the balcony was overloaded. It collapsed. Tragically, a couple of the children died. Uh, you know, a couple of the students died. And, you know, that was a terrible thing for the for Californians as a whole. You know, you sort of feel for these young kids going up to Berkeley, their parents sending them away. Then they tragically die in a balcony collapse. It totally could have been avoided. And they re- and the state inspectors or the regulators, whoever it was, were sent out there to, to investigate the, the scene afterward, realized that it was a construction defect that the wood members that were called out by the engineer to be uh, installed, I think it was particularly those side girders that were called out by the engineer weren't used. And so the balcony decayed faster than than was thought, than than the engineer had anticipated, and it collapsed. I think what what happened was the uh, those girder members were supposed to be uh, pressure treated, preservative treated, but they weren't. And, and so you had the project engineer that did the uh, design. So he signed off on that um, construction without taking a, a closer look to see what kind of wood wood was used. You had also the city inspector who was there to ensure that the uh, building was built according to plans. Also signed off on that. So there were like multiple levels of negligence um, that mm-hmm. led to that balcony collapse. So now everyone has to basically get their EEs, decks, stairways like that inspected. Yeah. So, I mean, my mind, and I'm sure yours does as a, as an attorney just goes to the, 
myriad amount of lawsuits and legal action that was following that, right? But that's another story for mm. another day. And the idea that that building, I believe it was built in 2005, from what I read, relatively new building, it does reek in the reading that I did, it does reek from construction defect from the get-go. But if we can overlay that idea into a building that was built in the 80s or the 60s, whether it was construction defect or ordinary wear and tear from waterproofing that's either was done wrong to begin with or has run its life, it's it's a hidden liability for owners. And, all, and here's my theory. And David, you tell me if you think it's true. We get such a varying level of rainfall here where we live that waterproofing is kind of an afterthought. We, we don't think about it that much because we may go a couple years without any water coming down out of the sky. And then we'll have a couple years where there's a lot. And maybe some of the, some of the issues come out in the open when we get a lot of rain. But if we don't get a lot of rain, there may be years that go by that you've got water intruding into that structure of whatever it is, whatever EEE it is, and you don't know it, right? And it's slowly but surely just deteriorating that wood, like when you build a sandcastle at the beach and the water runs up on it, and it just each little time it affects it. I mean, does that kind of match up with, with how you look at it too? Yeah, that's exactly right. And in those years where we're not having rain, we're having you know, extreme sunlight, heat that's uh, that's uh, bearing down on these waterproofing elements like the edge metal flashing and the deck surfacing itself. So that stuff gets worn away by the elements, even if there's not rain. So when that stuff starts to crack, deteriorate, delaminate, stuff like that, it lets the water, you know, in the rare time that we do get rain, it lets all that water directly into the cavity where the joists are. And what the water does is it'll create, when it, when it doesn't dry out properly because there's not appropriate ventilation, it, it sits there and it grows fungus and the fungus thrives in that sort of wet, dark area. And the fungus will eat away at the, the wood framing members and cause a loss of uh, structural cross-section and capacity. And then before you know it, 10 years later, that thing's ready to collapse because all of the wood there is decayed and rot. Yeah, absolutely. And and little telltale signs of that that I see and you see as you walk out of one of these exteriors, whatever it is. Oh, there's there's a soft spot. It could be small, or you could have a couple of them out there. Um, if if you have one of those on your building, I'd say that's a an alarm clock going off right away to have looked at. But we are all going to have to get those areas inspected by January first, twenty twenty five. Now that sounds like a long time, but I don't know about you, man. Time is flying for me this year. It's gone, and it and they go faster each year. So it's a good time to talk about this now. By January first, twenty twenty five we are all as apartment owners going to have those areas inspected uh, by whom, David? So, so a couple of things. I wanted to, to touch on a point that you made that you know the, the time is coming up to get these things inspected. And people don't realize that. The, the law was passed in 2018, became effective January, January 1, 2019. So you had essentially six years from 2019 to comply. That brings us to 2025. Here we are in 2022, almost 2023, and people don't even know about the rule because no one's going to come and tell you. The, the state is not going to issue letters to the individual landlords identifying the fact that they have to comply with this uh, state law. The problem with that is that people just simply aren't going to know and are going to get either stuck at the very end trying to find maybe not so competent contractor or engineer to do the inspection or they're just not going to get the inspection done at all. Or there is a provision in the state law that says that the individual municipalities, like cities, can institute a their own balcony inspection law that's more stringent than the states. So like the state is like your baseline, and the states can, uh, can adopt more comprehensive uh, balcony inspection rules. 
And I think when that happens, because it will happen, the cities themselves are going to start giving notices out to the apartment building owners in their municipality. So I'm sure Beverly Hills is going to do it. I'm sure Santa Monica is going to do it. As far as notice and timing, that's on the horizon. Getting back to your original question, as far as the the people that can make the inspection to complete the inspection, it's going to be under SB 721, either a licensed professional engineer or a licensed architect or a licensed general contractor in the B general uh, classification with at least five years of experience constructing multifamily buildings or a licensed framing contractor that holds a license in the C5 classification who also has five years of experience building multifamily buildings. And then I think the last one is a a certified building inspector. It can make the inspection. So it's it's five people. What's going to happen in Long Beach is they're going to create another separate little team off of the building department, which here it's called development services. And all of a sudden they're going to have another fee generating tool, right? I'm, I'm sure they're going to put in a balcony, uh, some sort of fee because everything comes with a fee with uh, the city of Long Beach anyway. So, so I have this property. I've got a bunch of balconies and exterior elevated elements on it. I'm going to call you up. You're going to come out and you're going to inspect it. What happens after that based on what you see how does that dispose going forward? So it depends on whether or not the defect that's identified poses an immediate risk to life and safety. If it does, then we've got to notify the, the building authority that has jurisdiction over that building. We've got to notify them within 15 days of the preparation of our report. And, and the owner has to prevent access to those um, exterior elevated elements. And then there's a whole host of other time requirements to make the uh, make the repairs that's spelled out in the statute, depending on the severity. There are two different timelines, one for the repairs that are recommended, but aren't necessarily a threat to life and safety. And then another timeline for those repairs that are necessary to protect against serious injury or death. The reading I, I saw said on the, the term immediate action required, like it's a pretty fitting term, right? 120 days to get your permit and 120 days to complete. I thought, wow, that's that seems like a long time for a life safety issue. But they do, it sounded like they did have to red tag the access or secure the access to those areas, which, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound like a horrible thing to do, right? Um, at, the, at that point, the non-emergencies, I guess they're saying you get an additional 120 days. It sounds like there's plenty of time and we'll talk about not wait until the end because it's like everything else. Wait until the fourth quarter of 2024 and you might not be able to get David on the phone as usually as you might be able to now. So that's just kind of a don't wait till the last minute. I read something about owners needing to keep these inspection reports in their file for like a two cycle period because I'm led to believe you have to do this every six years perpetually at this point. Yes. And you've got to maintain your reports for two inspection cycles. And I think the previous report has to be incorporated into the next report. Okay. So they create a chain. They reference the last report to to maybe notice any differences that occurred in that frame time or something. That's right. And, and to identify any um, issues that were problematic in the first report that have then been remedied, you know, subsequently, stuff like that. We, I mean, obviously, we haven't come through the second yet, but I'm assuming that the reports on the second inspection are going to be um, much more detailed and, and will take into account what was discovered in the first instance. It makes sense. And, and it also makes sense that most owners could probably pick up on this. It's going to be really important for everybody to keep their, their eyes dotted and their T's 
cross with this file that you have. Now, let me ask you this. You've been out on Marriott apartment complexes way more than I have. What are the most common types of corrections that you've seen from these exterior elevated elements? Insufficiently supported uh, balcony and uh, walkway railing. Um, They're either too short and, you know, we'll we'll identify in our report that the railing is too short. Um, That's not really, uh, you know, our... um, that's not really within the purview of the of the statute to identify, you know, building code defects like that. But we will show, uh, point out that the uh, railing is too short. I see that a lot. But I also see that the railing is insufficiently supported to withstand the uh, load requirements required by the current code. So the current mm-hmm. code requires the um, the railings to withstand a force of 200, uh, 200 pounds per foot in a concentrated area. So it's like, imagine like a two, uh, you know, me, I'm like 230 pounds. If I hit the railing, then it that will withstand my weight hitting it and it won't collapse. It leans up against the railing and it's not appropriately fastened to the building. It could fail. <laughs> the person could fall, obviously. Yeah, the railings, wow. it's, you're, you're, you put your hand on the railing and it's got two or three inches of play to it and you can see it moving. And you're just sitting there thinking, if if I give this thing two or three strong kicks, I could kick it off the building. And that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. So I totally know what you're saying there is when those metal railings are attached down through the stucco, they they are eventually penetrating into the wood members of the framing. And if again, if you've got the water going in there for a long time, you can you can almost just look up and see that those those fasteners are not fastened anymore. They're just they're still in the hole that they made originally. But if you went up there and pull it, you could you could pull it straight out. So yeah. so the handrails are a scary thing. And, and it's also got to withstand a distributed force of 50 pounds per linear foot. And right now, a lot of those the buildings that we've been inspecting cannot withstand the current code's force. That's one thing. Uh, the next thing that we see, you know, often is deteriorated uh, walkway surfaces. These things are used every single day. And you can tell the traffic patterns, you know, basically from the elevator or from the uh, top of the stairs to the units. And and I see so many of these that have been uh, just worn down over the years and haven't been replaced. And and you can see cracks and delamination, which is the separation of the deck coating from like the elemental flashing, allowing for water to get in. Water is getting in a lot of these buildings in a lot of different spots that a lot of owners don't know about. There's only one way to do waterproofing it, and that's the right way. If you try <laughs> to shortcut it, you're going to have problems in the future. For example, I'm working on a project right now where um, a competitor bid replacing the railing and just, just resealing and repairing the walkway. So when they replace the railing and they and they install the uh, railing footings, so the base plate, they're going to do it right over the existing waterproofing and just bring one layer over the base plate. I, I think that's insufficient. The right way to do it is to remove the whole of the existing waterproofing, expose the subfloor, install the new base plate through the uh, the plywood subfloor into some blocking, hopefully, you know, underneath that so it's nice and tight, and then do the waterproofing over it. It's expensive to do it that way, but that's the right way and really the only way. That's the crux, right? Because I was around that in my past life and I had to do a, a exterior deck replacement on one of the buildings and my partners are going, hey, why can't we just put that over existing? And, and I'm like, man, if you want to do this right and we're going to keep the building, got to tear the thing off down to the plywood. We're probably going to have to replace all the plywood. But after we're done, hey, what you don't get with that, with that overlay or the recovers, they call it, you don't get any real rectification of the, the metal flashing around the edges, 
is there a sliding door? You know, we used to do these door pans that we pull the slider off. The other guys aren't doing that, right? So, hey, why is your bed twice the other guys? We're going to take your sliding glass door off and put a, a sheet metal door pan under it and waterproof it to the deck because we know a lot of times the water comes down from another level across your sliding glass door and down from there, and you'd, ne- you'd never know about it. Now, it's kind of extreme and and maybe, you know, what owners are thinking out there is like, okay, if I have a, if I have a west facing side of the building, I'll waterproof that one more than I would the other side. You know, I've heard that before too, but there, there is so much going on in the waterproofing. And I think a lot of it just doesn't register a lot of times in owners, in owners' minds, but. And it'll okay. save the building. Cause, cause imagine if, if someone, if there was a tragic accident, someone got really hurt, you know, you could lose your building. There was a recent article in the Agla magazine where, you know, coming off of the effects of that building in Florida that collapsed and a few other things that have happened, you know, since 2015, there's a there's a condo complex in LA called the Marina City Club. It's been around for 48 years or something. And, and it, everybody was just kind of thought life was good, but they, they did an engineering study on the thing and it found, they found out there's like $140 million of work to do on this thing. Uh, cracks in the walls, cement, signs of water intrusion in parking garages, falling, crumbling concrete, water damaged rooftop text. It's all waterproofing. This is going on around us. And tell us, David, how you can help owners. We can also tell them about your contact information and everything else. But how do you how do you help owners with this specific task? I guess we just do everything that's required to comply with the statute. We'll come out, we will we will give a bid for the report and the inspection. If our bid is acceptable, we will engage with the owner to perform the inspection and we'll coordinate everything with the tenants. We'll go out there, we'll do, we'll do the inspection, which entails um, taking a look visually of the waterproofing elements and the load-bearing components of these EEEs. And then we'll also, uh, if the load-bearing components aren't like easily accessible, meaning they're not exposed and you can't just look at them you know, by looking up at the EEE, uh, we'll drill some bore holes, probably about three inches in diameter, stick an endoscopic camera in there uh, in the cavity to observe the condition of the framing, like the floor joist subframing, like, and then we'll prepare a report. And then I did read something. Originally, a firm or individual who did the report could not actually do the corrective work, but maybe I heard from your video that that changed. Is that different now? <clears throat> yeah, so the the initial iteration of SB 721 contained a prohibition from the inspector also doing the corrective work. Now the contractor can do the work if they did the inspection as well. You're in a great position to do turnkey from inspection through through corrective work on, on your end. That's right. And the corrective work is pretty expensive. So sort of be prepared, get multiple bids. I would always get multiple bids from qualified contractors because um, waterproofing is an expensive proposition and so is so is framing and sometimes foundation work is involved as well. There's a whole bunch more information that you all can find. Uh, David's website specifically for the balcony issues we're talking about is balcony1.com. He's got a really nice video on there. I'll actually get to meet his little son, which is kind of cool. But certainly get get up to speed on this. Most all of you have exterior elevated elements of some kind that are going to need to be inspected. Some buildings have a lot of them and some buildings just have a few of them, but uh, David's a great resource. He's got information out there, videos, articles, all this information will be in the show notes from the podcast as well. Uh, Reach out to him. Be glad to answer questions like he is here. And 
you know, just kind of get out ahead of this thing before the deadline, which we do have some time, but we all know how fast time flies. Really appreciate you being here today, David. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher, and we'll be back with another episode real soon. Thanks again.